0: Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Becca is going to come and share with us, which is very exciting. Yeah, great, crazy, crazy mums that go and sit outside and be, be quiet. <laughs>
1: Hi everyone, it's lovely to be here with you guys, Um, I'm excited to be sharing tonight on our second installment of Jesus and the Storm, um, which is, yeah, I don't know, such a great idea actually, just spinning these passages, we looked at them in our house churches, Um, Oren shared last week and I'm sharing this week, and um, yeah, um, yeah. I've been really looking forward to this. Of course, it's always a last moment scramble for me to get everything together, including my slides, which you'll notice from their um, standard of beauty. But, um, but I th- yeah. There we go. <laughs> I did. I did have yeah simplicity. That's right. I did have some other ideas, and and the, you know. But Jesus in the storm, very clear. Yes, black and white for those listening. Um, And so we have a few images um, that I hopefully legally have taken from the internet of people's depictions of this Bible passage that we're going to look at, um, which is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Um, Luke, those Gospels, but we're going to look at from Mark again, uh, which is also what Oren spoke from last week. And so we have, um, this is Rembrandt's version and this is a woodcut done by Jeffrey Thompson. I think it's quite beautiful. Then we have um, Jesus Calms the Storm 1995 by Laura James. And then we have Calm the Storm by Ketat Lasia, who's an indigenous Balinese artist. Um, I thought that was really beautiful. So to, to, um, to start out, we're gonna read the pa- I'm going to read the passage out. Um, so this is from Mark. I'm using the NRSV version of the Bible. Um, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' He woke up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, "'Peace, be still.'" Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? So what I learned as an American preacher's kid growing up in Pennsylvania in the 80s and 90s, hearing this story at least once a year, according to the um, the, kid, the Sunday school curriculum that our church would purchase, um, probably sometimes illustrated with flannel graph. Has anyone else? I was looking for a photo of that. I couldn't, couldn't find it. But um, yeah, so the three, my three takeaways back then were Jesus controls the weather. You should never be afraid, even if there's a crazy storm threatening your life. You should never be afraid. And if you are having an outdoor party or a sporting event, it is biblical to try to pray against bad weather. <laughs> those, were, those were my t- takeaways. So, so last week, um, Oren did an excellent job presenting a political reading. Highly recommend you go back and listen to that if you missed out. Jesus calling us to cross to the other side of the sea where those who have been politically and religiously marginalized and are called unclean, that's where they reside, where their healing is tied up with our own healing. And today, we're going to look at this passage through the lens of mental health. And I think it's very fitting for Mother's Day, um, as May is actually maternal mental health month internationally. And often, it's in motherhood. Um, or even the desire for motherhood, that mental health challenges can arise. Um, I think this really needs to be normalized. It needs to be spoken about publicly. So I'm really honored to have this chance to talk about it. Um, So the words mental health, even those words can bring up a lot of feelings for us. Um, A lot of experiences, judgments, stigma. And as I speak, I'm going to share a little bit about my own mental health journey and my own mental health challenges. Um, but I really also wonder, want to honor the thousand stories that are in this room with us right now, the stories we carry in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, our own stories, the stories of our ancestors. Um, there are many, many storms raging for us right now. And it can be challenges in parenting and marriage. It can be financial stress. It can be chronic illness. Um, it can be the death of someone we love. Or it can be mental health challenges of our own. And sometimes it actually can be triggering to listen to someone talk about their mental health journey. And sometimes I'll need to use words that are can be triggering for people. And so I just want to really acknowledge that. Um, When you feel triggered, that's when your past suddenly comes rushing into your present in a way that's really disorienting and uncomfortable and can be really scary. And so I just want to really give you permission. You don't need my permission to do this, but I want to encourage you to take care of yourself as you're sitting here on May 9th, 2021, in this room, listening. Um, And I just want to give you the option to check out if you need to. Um, and I also want to help us just come home to our bodies, um, come home to the, come home to this present moment. And a really easy way to do that is for you to notice how your body is feeling as you're sitting on this chair or, or standing. Notice the surface that you're sitting on. Notice your feet on the ground. Notice how, how your seat feels under your body. Notice if your hair is touching your face or your shoulder. And notice your breath. So when we notice our breath, we actually gain agency over something that's always happening in us. But that's us actually coming and taking control over it and noticing that our breath can actually bring a a massive sense of peace to our bodies. And for some of us, um some of us struggle and we swing between living with memories of the past and fears about the future and our breath is this present moment that's what our breath is and bringing us back to this moment and so i just want to i just want to encourage you to just be really aware of your body as we're speaking um do i have another slide <laughs> Yeah, so I want to, so when I'm looking at this passage, the first thing that I thought about was the sea, and how in the Hebrew mind and imagination, what did the sea represent? So the seas represented chaos and fear and this unbridled power. So we have from Psalm 67, "You, you silence the roaring of the seas, The roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Psalm 89, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 74, yet God my king is from of old, working salvation in the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the dragons in the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan, the sea monsters. You gave him his food for the creatures of the wilderness. N.T. Wright has a, a, little, a little presentation or paper that he wrote on this um, that I actually read back in 2005, I think. So it was right after the, the, a massive tsunami in late 2004 that most of us, are, we would all remember that, happened. So he, he wrote about this, and he said, The sea is simultaneously part of God's good creation and part of the continuing source of chaos and terror. And God is said to be the one that can quiet the seas. So that would have been deeply entrenched in Hebrew minds. And so we also can see that it was Jesus' idea to get in a boat and go to the other side of the sea at night. So that doesn't sound good to me, but I don't spend a lot of time in boats. I know some of us might be more comfortable being in boats at night. Um, Jesus was very comfortable. He grabs himself a cushion and falls asleep. And it was really interesting looking at the Greek word, um, which meant falls asleep, kathudin, it really means to sleep, like he was just sleeping, actually sleeping. I'm just joking, nobody laughed. How about that? Wow. I thought people would laugh at that. Okay. Okay. your mom, that's what my kid said. My, kid, my mom tells jokes, but that's all right. Nobody knows. So Jesus is sleeping. Out of nowhere, a great windstorm hits them, and waves are beating the boat, and the boat is filling with water. This sounds like a nightmare to me. Um, the men in the boat were terrified, and they wake him up, and they say, teacher. Do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? So this is not a joke. Perishing comes from the Greek word apolimitha, which means, perishing means to be fully destroyed, literally, and also figuratively. They woke Jesus up accusing him of not caring that they were being destroyed. So in late 2016, I received a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. And so when I actually became, I um, started coming with my family to Central Church about three or four years before that. And so when I joined the church, I didn't have that diagnosis. So a lot of my mental health journey has actually been with the people in this room, and I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, I lived quietly, well, at least I felt like I was quiet, I'm sure my husband disagrees, Um, with PTSD PTSD symptoms that were probably quite obvious um, for many, many years. I spiritualized them. I normalized them. I tried to confess them and pray them away. I walked in the opposite spirit the best I could. I stuffed them very deep down. Um, My symptoms for me were terrifying, and I worried that if I shared them with somebody that they were contagious, and that I could actually put that terror onto my husband or my friends. Um, I had no language at that point around trauma, and around mental health, none. I was perishing. No one around me could see my storm raging in my mind, my heart, my body. Actually, I have a photo of this is me and my family. And at that point, when I'm smiling at a photo, my storm was raging. And it continued to rage for almost another two years. Um, before I actually got help. Some storms the people around us can't see. To me, my community might as well have been sleeping peacefully on a cushion because it was that hidden. When I finally hit rock bottom at the end of 2016, so probably about two years after this or one and a half years after this photo, I honestly felt that I was being destroyed I didn't know, honestly, how much longer I could make it. It was a very scary time for me. And I finally told Chris, my husband, and he told me, we need to go to the doctor. We need to get you help. I remember speaking to Carol. I remember Linda and Craig coming to my house and praying with me and encouraging me to see a GP, which I did. And then they recommended a great psychologist who listened to not just my symptoms but my life experiences and gave me the good, good news of a mental health diagnosis, which meant I wasn't the only one experiencing this kind of storm. This is a thing that happens to us. And that because it had a name, PTSD, meant it had a path of healing that I could take. And I remember sitting in her office crying and crying with relief. I love in this story that Jesus didn't wake up and say, stop freaking out, everything's going to be fine, I'm going back to sleep. He also didn't say, who among us hath sinned and caused this great storm to come upon us? He didn't say, well, this storm is obviously God's will and all for God's glory, so chill. (laughs) He didn't say, if you would have prayed harder, you wouldn't be in this situation. He also didn't say, God has brought this storm into your life to test your faith, and God will not give you more than you can handle. Jesus also doesn't give a long-winded scientific explanation about the weather and the sea and geography. He doesn't try to explain why this storm is happening. Jesus is woken up by soaking wet grown men yelling at him. And he turns to the storm and says, peace, be still. Jesus' first priority was to alleviate the physical and emotional suffering of the disciples as quickly as possible. Peace. Be still. The next question that Jesus asks is, why are you afraid? So this question initially annoys me a bit. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're being rude. <laughs> You're dismissing everything. So there's this complete calm, complete going from raging storm to complete calm. The only thing I can actually compare that to is, giving birth. And like, you go from this moment of, I'm not going to make it. (laughs) I can't believe this is happening in my body and my mind and everything. And then the baby's born. For some of us, in some moments, you then have this, like, euphoria. That does not always happen. That has not always happened for me. But I did have a third baby. And he did. (laughs) He's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) That really was like that. It went from, yeah, and so that's what I can imagine, to this dead calm. And then Jesus, I don't hear this as a rebuke from Jesus. I hear him genuinely asking, why are you afraid? So they had many, many reasons to be afraid. Potentially their fear was rooted in trauma, historical trauma, collective trauma, and their own personal experiences. They had grown up as young men under colonization, of the Roman Empire. It was a very brutal time. I can't imagine what they would have experienced in their childhood and in, into adulthood and even in the present moment. And sometimes also we freak out at people and it's not really about the thing. It's about the other thing and all the other things. Does anyone know that feeling? So maybe they were actually like, hey Jesus, Look at this mess of a world. Aren't you going to raise up a militia to overthrow the Romans and save us all? We're perishing, and you don't even seem to care. And I can imagine that one of them probably grabbed that cushion and threw it into the sea. That's my style. (laughs) That's like when Luke's like, what's the craziest thing your mom's ever done? I was like, "Mm." what kind of crazy are we talking? Funny crazy? Or like the other kind of crazy? And then there's the actual moment that they've just been in when the boat is, there's a genuine threat to their lives and their bodies, a genuine threat. Water's filling the boat. They could lose their boat, which would have been somebody's livelihood. They could drown. They had good reason to be afraid. There's this massive cocktail of hormones, fight and flight hormones that's racing through their bodies. They're trying to bail out water with all this super energy. They're trying to plan their escape, figure out what they're going to do. That's why they're afraid. And for people that have mental health challenges, fear can be a huge player in our lives, whether that's catastrophic and intrusive thoughts that happen, hypervigilance, not feeling safe in your body even when you are safe, paranoia, having unsettling voices that you hear, um, having social anxiety, having hallucinations, having panic attacks, fearing stigma, fearing the loss of relationships. My mental health challenges produce something called traumatic anxiety where I'll feel like I'm going to die, literally and figuratively. I feel like I'm going to die. And I don't feel safe leaving my home. and I don't feel safe sometimes in my home. Um, so that's quite debilitating for my social life sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's a very real thing. It's very difficult. And I actually haven't actually had that for a few years. Um, but when I was having it, very, very real. Um, This kind of fear. Jesus was born into a traumatized people. He himself would have carried trauma in his DNA from his ancestors. And he would have had his own experiences of violence and poverty. But the way I see it, in Jesus encouraging his friends to notice their fear, to name it, he's actually helping them to re-engage the top front part of their brain, their prefrontal cortex, This is the part of our brain that goes online when we're noticing what we're feeling and thinking rather than just living in it and reacting to it. And the next question Jesus asks is, have you still no faith? Again, this is a bit harsh, Jesus. But the word faith here, piston, can also be translated as trust. So, I like to retranslate it, which I think when you go through grief and loss, you do a lot of retranslating of what people say, and maybe even what the Bible says. I like to retranslate it as Jesus saying, Do you trust me? Do you trust that I am in your boat? Do you trust that I'm with you no matter what? Do you trust that nothing can separate you from my love? Nothing. Do you trust that I do care? And I want to do everything I can to alleviate your suffering. So in early 2017, I was newly diagnosed with PTSD. And I was making sense of everything in light of this psychoeducation I was receiving through therapy, learning about my brain and my body and my triggers, how my past was affecting my present how breath and exercise and mindfulness could make a huge difference in how I experience the world. So I'm not a very mystical person, but I had a very weird experience, and I was in worship singing my guts out, and I felt like Jesus was standing right in front of me. And he said to me, do you trust me? And I said, no, I don't definitely don't trust you. But what was left unsaid in that confession was, but I really, really want to. I really need to trust you. John Swinton is a Scottish mental health nurse turned theologian. And I've been reading his book called Jesus in the Storm, which is on Christians and mental health challenges. And he's talking about the question, what does it even mean to be healed? And he says, theologically, we may think of healing as much more than a cure. If it, in fact, includes cure at all. So he's saying, healing might not even include a cure. Health is not the absence of anything. It's the presence of God. He goes on to say mental health biblically speaking is not defined by the presence or absence of symptoms. Psychological distress is therefore not a sign of the absence of God. It is perfectly possible to be with Jesus even in the midst of deep distress. And he also mentions that, you know, an Olympic athlete can be incredibly unhealthy. And someone who experiences psychosis can be truly healthy. I'm still processing that in my own life as someone who, yeah, I, I still journey with symptoms. I, ex, I experiment with different medications, trying to find that thing that's going to heal me, different yoga practices, different, different therapists. And I wonder what Jesus is trying to say to me. This passage in Mark tells us that the presence of a storm in our lives, whether it's short-lived and momentary or it's a long-term storm, does not mean that Jesus is not right there with us. It doesn't mean we've done something to separate us from God. Jesus is in our boat. And Jesus didn't say That's the last storm you'll ever experience if only you do these three things. Have more faith. (laughs) Try this medication. Go to yoga every morning. Psychological distress is not a sign of the absence of God. The question isn't, how do we cure ourselves of these storms? It is a question, though. It's a question I ask, right? But the question is, how do I live well with Jesus, even in the storms that come. And I do think that Jesus even though he doesn't have his his physical body here with us now, Jesus wants to bring peace to our storms. He does that through community. Sometimes we have to wake somebody up. Other people can't always see that there's a storm raging and we're perishing. Sometimes we have to pull the cushion out, shake somebody, and say, help me, help me. Sometimes we need therapy to see a counselor or a psychologist. I highly recommend it, honestly. Prayer, prayer ministry, spiritual practices are all part of the way that Jesus heals our storm. Exercise, coming home to our bodies, moving our bodies, finding our breath. And medication can be a big way of Jesus bringing calm to our storms. I've experienced so much healing since my diagnosis. In 2016, I actually feel like a whole new person. And also true, (laughs) I'm probably always going to experience the storms of living with post-traumatic stress disorder especially while my kids are living at home with me. (laughs) Being healthy doesn't mean I'm not going to experience those storms. I don't think I'll ever be cured of PTSD. It means that I can weather these storms with Jesus and my community and with my doctors and know that I am never alone. And to finish, Revelation 21 is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I was reminded of that today as I was making a slide. It describes the mystery of what we're moving towards in all things new. Then I saw a a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I don't think John is talking about Port Campbell Beach vanishing when the trumpets sound. I think most of us would be pretty bummed if the, in the New Heavens and New Earth there's no ocean, right? We love the ocean, or at least we live, pay a lot to live close to it. But one day the sea will be no more. All the chaos, the grief. Addiction, pain, loss. The storms will be no more. There will be calm. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain. Will be no more. Revelation 22, verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The seas are not trustworthy. Our health is not trustworthy. Our future plans are not trustworthy. Our children's choices of partners in life are not trustworthy. But Jesus is. Jesus is trustworthy, and he's asking us again, do you trust me? Can you trust that one day the sea will be no more? And in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, instead of a chaotic, raging, unpredictable sea, it's been transformed. Those waters have been transformed into a river of life flowing from the throne of God. And on either side of the river grows a magnificent tree, Whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. And that includes each one of us and every person on this planet. It includes every family unit, every neighborhood, and every people group. And Jesus is saying to the whole planet, even in this difficult pandemic year, you can trust me. I am in your boat. And one day, the sea will be no more. So that's all I have to share. Um, But I guess I'm just thinking of the question, what do you need from Jesus today? Do you need to tell him that you're perishing? Do you need to tell someone else that you're perishing? Do you need to tell him why you're afraid? And name those things. Do you need to ask for his help? Ask for his help to trust him. So I don't know if we want to have some music my favourite singer songwriter <laughs> good one Luke <laughs> yeah we can just I don't know if you want to grab the mic from me <laughs> I don't Becca that was wonderful
0: um, but I, I, I think it would be really lovely to finish by just praying for one another because um, there's many storms <laughs> For each one of us and some of them are raging right now and some of them maybe not so much but um we're in the boat together and Jesus is with us and sometimes you know I sometimes think about what you're saying Becca and it's hard sometimes to think how do I on my own wake up Jesus or how do I on my own reach out for help but we've got one another and um, I think it just be really important for us to minister and pray and just talk to Jesus with one another about the stuff going on in each one of our lives. And so maybe, yeah, Chris can play some music and maybe you can just sit with the people near you and um, chat with them. Pray for each other. If the people you're with are like, you know, rowing the boat on a sunny day right now, then I'm sure you know someone in your sphere that might be experiencing some kind of storm and maybe you can pray for them and just be with them. And maybe, Becca, you can kind of just linger and loiter in this corner. And if anyone wants to come and talk to Becca and have Becca pray with with them, then come and grab Becca. Come and grab me. Come and grab Cheryl. We'd love to pray with you. So how about we just... Love on one another with Jesus for a little bit. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.